The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. By the time I met Salonia Tiedros in 2016, I was already vaguely familiar with her work. Sol had reached out to me a few years prior on a new project she was working on with her brand, The Change School. The Change School, which she co-founded with Grace Clapham, creates meaningful learning experiences to help individuals align their interests and values in a way that leads to transformation. At the time, they were looking for third culture adults and global citizens to discuss how their international experiences impacted their lives. And I was game. So eventually, when I made my way to Singapore, I knew I had to meet up with her to find out if she was just as chill in person as she was online. And guess what? She was that and much more. Soul is a change strategist, learning designer, and a Thrive Coach. But she's also a third culture kid, a veteran expat, and a mama, who has been on her own journey of transforming and reinventing. And at the time of this interview, she had just returned to Asia after living in Portugal for a few years. And as no big surprise, a lot has changed since I last saw her. In this episode, Sol and I discuss what it meant for her to grow up Ethiopian, Taiwanese American in the 1990s and dealing with always being the different kid, especially in Asia. She also discusses why job hopping isn't always necessarily bad and how those experiences can be used to leverage the next opportunity. And she shares her candid thoughts on being a new mom and the reality of trying to actually raise a mixed heritage global citizen, even when you are one. So this might be the most third culture kid episode I've had in a while, when two TCKs impact the reality and impact of these international childhoods. There's lots of reflections, a few questions, and maybe a couple of answers in this one. Hope you enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Global Chatter. Welcome to the latest episode of the Global Chatter. Um, I hope that you listen to the intro. And I think if you've gotten this far, you've listened to the intro. So you know that my guest is Saul, who I'm, I'm like pumped about this interview because you may have already heard this or you may know this, but um, I met her like years and years and years ago and then had the opportunity to actually meet her in person in Singapore, which she's not in Singapore right now. And so this, in a lot of ways, is like a full circle moment for me because I love to go back and reconnect with folks that I've met along this journey doing the Black Expat and all this work. And so, Sol, I am so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so happy to be reconnected. Oh, my gosh. Right. Like it's I have to do the math in my head. And I I was like. I remember us having a drink in Singapore. And so I was I like, okay, that was spot. like, I remember the day. Yeah, exactly. I remember, <laughs> it was, I remember it was hella hot. Totally. No, it was, it yeah. was like, this is why I know this because this is the first and only time I've ever been to Singapore, <laughs> but it was, it was like December, 2016. So oh, about wow. six okay. years ago. Yeah. That sounds about right. That sounds about yeah. right. That's crazy. It also feels like the world is kind of different since that. Yeah, just a little bit. I mean, things have happened. Just small, small (laughs) things have happened. I was living in Asia. Don't live in Asia anymore. So, I mean, obviously a pandemic, right? That'd be like exactly minor details, (laughs) right? And uh, and so, for people who are listening in, it being a global show, I start off with this question all the time: Where in the world are you currently located? 
So I am back in Asia and it feels so good. Um, so <laughs> I, um, yeah, I've been in Portugal. I was living in Lisbon for the last three and a half years. Um, and then I was just, I was missing this part of the world. You know, here's where my fam friends support system is. And uh, I wanted to come back and I needed some island life. So I'm here in Bali, yeah. Indonesia. I was telling a friend the other day, there's nothing like... This is for me personally, and I know not everyone necessarily shares the sentiment, but global south and water mm-hmm. and just warmth, you know, like it's just different. Totally. I, I think if if you're just from or have lived in just parts of the world where that's the thing, it nothing else feels right. That's it. No, that's it. I mean, I'm ashamed to say this and people, you know, especially water people or surfers and stuff are probably going to laugh at me. But, you know. Portugal is known for beach life, right? And and mm. great surf and everything. In the three and a half years I was there, I got in the water three times. And <laughs> because it was too cold, I just could not. And my partner, I drove him insane. Um, he had to force me in the water those three times. Um, but I just, I can't, I can't handle cold water. And since I've been right. in Bali, I've been right. and I've been in the beach every weekend. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it's so good it's so good well i was in the um i was in the caribbean earlier this year at or in in dominican republic and it i well yeah i love so okay like i love beaches or whatever and i happen to live in a state right now that has beaches known for beaches on the east coast whatever but i was down there and i was like this water's like warm y'all like warm yes it was january it was january it was warm it was also really blue <laughs> i was like i'm that's this it. is not yeah this is not the same like i would be at the beach every weekend totally. probably more than that if i lived here 100%. because i can't yeah it's the it's the it's the I don't know, the tropic person in me. And so, um, but I think this is a really good starting point because I think a lot of people probably listening don't necessarily know you and know your story. And so you saying your, you know, your return to Asia and (laughs) and being in Indonesia, we probably need to tee that up. So for our people, I was going to say, so for our people who are listening in, um, can you talk a little bit and share like, where did you grow up? So tell us a little bit about your international story. Okay, so born in Beantown, Massachusetts, and I was there till the age of nine. So mom is Taiwanese and dad's Ethiopian. Um, they were both academics at the time. Um, so they met in university, had me, and as I said, I was there till the age of nine. Uh, my parents split when I was nine. And so I moved to Taiwan with my mom, where I grew up for, I think, Okay, so till the age of 12, uh, I think that's Mm -hmm. eighth grade. And mom was a diplomat, so she was assigned to Singapore. And so we moved there and I was in Singapore for the next 10 years. So I basically finished finished middle school, graduated high school, spent a little extra time there, then went back to the States for uni. Um, so I went to Syracuse. That was too big a culture shock. So I was out of there and right. <laughs> I overloaded those credits and I was like, peace out. I've, I've, I've got to get out of here. No offense to anyone from Syracuse. Love the school, but it just, it was too much for me. Um, coming from the tropics. Right. Uh, yeah. so transferred to BU and I stayed in the States for another, I think 10 years. So Boston, New York, then, um, traveled a bit found myself back in Asia again. So stayed in Singapore again for another 10 years from there, went to Portugal, and now I'm in Bali. That's the nutshell, but I know we're going to break it down a bit more. (laughs) Right. And, and here's the wild part as, as long as I've known you and known parts of your story, like (laughs) there's a whole bunch of things you said that I went, I didn't even know that part. So, so, so yeah, we are definitely going to break it down. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's and let's unpack the part the part of obviously you being a kid growing up in the states, right? So with your mom being a, you know, Taiwanese and your dad being of Ethiopian descent, right? Like yeah. you're already a bicultural kid, right? Like yeah. bicultural cross-cultural. And so 
What did that look like for, and, and I know this is taking it back, but what did that look like for you as a kid in the States? Because I'm, I would imagine, this is just me guessing, yeah. but I could be wrong. I would imagine maybe people who didn't know you or your family didn't necessarily know where to place you. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. So, oh my gosh, I have so many hilarious stories about this. So let me see how to break it down. Um, okay, yeah. well, I'll start by saying, so at that time, most of my family on my dad's side were also in the States, whereas my family on my mom's side were uh, mostly in Taiwan and, and spread across Asia. Mm-hmm. So in terms of like exposure to the two cultures, I think I had more more from the Ethiopian side. You know, um, my aunt was always making Ethiopian food. My dad was always making Ethiopian food. I heard a lot of Amharic and Tigrinya um, being spoken from that side of the family. My mom brought me up. I mean, she started teaching me to speak Mandarin and Hokkien quite early. So I had the language side of it, but not as much of the culture side of it. And it's funny, like my, my parents being academics, right? I'd always be hanging out with them and their, their professor friends. And they're always like, well, do you know that you're coming from some of the most ancient cultures and all this? I was very like aware in my head that, okay, I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian, but you know, at school and with my friends, you know, I had the line, right? I'm like, I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian born in America, but I think I very much was being raised up until the age of nine as like an American kid, right? With different Mm -hmm. kinds of food at home. Um, Mm -hmm. But I sounded American, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, English was the common language for my parents, right? So I think up until the age of nine, that was what it was, you know, like I had a bit of that exposure from Ethiopia, limited um, on the Chinese side. And, and yeah, otherwise, I just thought I just knew what to tell people where to tell people I was from. (laughs) Yeah. And so I would imagine then, you know, obviously, your parents separate, and then you are then moving to Asia, what I would imagine for the first time, right at the age of nine, 10. Exactly. Yeah. And oh man, okay. I was bawling when my mom told me that was happening. <laughs> and I, I had, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And I had all these crazy ideas. Oh yeah. So I mentioned earlier, I had funny stories and I didn't even tell one. So one of them, I mean, this is really funny. So my, my grandmother on my father's side, she came to visit um, us in the States from Ethiopia once. And she, you know, she didn't speak much English, but she always used to make fun of me lovingly, of course, right? About me being half Chinese. And she used to literally, I'm waving the karate hands right now. And she'd be like, yeah. you Chinese. She's like, karate, ha 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 ha. And like uh. squeezing the eyes and like just making fun of my Asian-ness, yeah. right? And uh. of course, it was like all love, right? But it's just really funny how those kind of stereotypes even exist within your family, right? And so right. when mom was like, we're moving to Taiwan, I had, I mean, I was just as naive, right? I had all these images of like, in hindsight, I think I was imagining like Thai dancers with fans has nothing to do with Taiwan, but I was like, yeah. I don't want to go there. I'm never going to make friends. Yeah. I don't want to be there. I'm American. <laughs> right. So I was freaking right. out. I was freaking out about it. And let me ask this question. I mean, and you know, even being in the States at that age, did folks, I mean, and I, and I, I think it'll be interesting to ask this question too, when you move to move to Taiwan or, or move to Asia, but like, did folks in the States, like, so let's take it out of your family, but folks in the States realize that you were half Asian? Like, did they, did you, as a little kid, present as half, like physically present as half Asian? No, definitely not. I mean, categorically, I mean, just from my appearance, I would say African-American was the first assumption. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and a more serious note, I mean, I even had, I did run into a couple of things which now looking back, I'm like, it's quite shocking because later on, as we'll get into, like my life was so different. It's it's really shocking that I had an experience like this, but I went to a private school at one point um, in the States. And I remember there was, I don't even know what they're called. You know, there's like these bouncing, they look like the planet Saturn and you used to like put your feet on them and bounce on them. Anyway, they're all yeah. the rage at that time. Yeah. yeah. And my girlfriend had one at school one day and I'd gone to her and I'd said, you know, I want one, you know, those are amazing. And she was like, well, so those are really more for white girls. Like black girls can't have them. Okay. And <laughs> it was really shocking for me. Like, 
I was like, well, wait a minute. I mean, it was shocking for so many reasons, right? Like, first of all, I'm like, wait, why can't I have the same toy as you? Secondly, right. what do you mean black girl? Like, who are you talking about? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. What? And then I went home to my parents. It was just, it was just, it was a shit show. But I mean, you know, um, it's just really funny that that's the kind of experience that I had. And I'm sure it's very common, right? But right. in hindsight, right. it's just like, yeah, wow, that was the dynamic. Um, and had I continued, right. you know, going to school there or like continued living in the States, I'm sure there would have been a lot more incidents like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. really bizarre at the time. Cause I just, I never really just considered myself a black girl or, you know, no one had told me like you're African-American. Right. So it was just bizarre for me. Okay. So then let's, and I was like, so let's flip this because at the, you know, nine tends a pivotal age, right? Because you're about to enter your preteens. Yeah. And, you know, for many, for many kids at that age, you are, as you're about to make the jump. You haven't quite made the jump from kind of like elementary to middle school, depending on, or secondary school, depending on, you know, what system. So what is Ty? What was Taiwan then for you, or what was it then? Because that's the first place you got you 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 came to, right? Was it yeah. Taiwan? Okay, yeah. so now you're this biracial American kid with a Taiwanese mom. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is probably, I'm assuming, like the '90s or the 2000s. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, this is the '90s in Taiwan, where I don't even know. Like, they've probably seen maybe like three dark people like right in the country ever and they were probably from other parts of asia right totally. so like, oh, they're from or like, cambodia or somewhere yeah, right or laos right. or like i don't know you know they got all kinds of assumptions that come with that yeah so yeah i mean taiwan and i want to be i, I just want to throw this disclaimer out like right now today right like taiwan is so it's such an amazing place. I love the culture. I love the people. Yeah. It's so close to my heart. And I need to say that because at the age of nine up until 12, when I was there, I hated that place because yeah. it was the nineties because it wasn't, um, it didn't have that exposure to people of, of different backgrounds and different skin color. And so, you know, I always say like, I never, in hindsight, like I know there was no ill will meant towards me, but there were a lot of incidences that just sucked and really stuck with me for a long time. Um, for one thing, I mean, I'd be walking on the street with my mom everywhere we went. I was like stared down, you know, and because I could understand Chinese, it almost felt like a curse yeah. because I could understand every comment and, and question that came our way. Like, you know, is she your maid? Um, you know, mm. how could she be your daughter when she's so dark? Kids would be like, you know, they have different terms, which sound really offensive if I translate, but they're not offensive in Chinese, you know, but I was always like black person or black this. And, um, I got chased down by the cops one day cause they thought I was an illegal Filipina maid. Um, I, I mean, oh, wow. was just, there was, there was a lot. Um, and I spent a lot of my days crying and, you know, I did go to the international American school, but interestingly, like even that dynamic was really weird because my group of friends were Taiwanese girls because I could speak Chinese. I just connected with them better Mm. than, you know, some of the other girls that were not from Taiwan, like they were from all over. Um, and there was a bit of a, of, of, of tension there, you know, I mean, they were kind of looking at me like, okay, well, why does she feel that? she can't hang out with us. And then, you know, I mean, you know how young girls can be. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, at the time Taiwan was like, I I really, really hated it. And it was really hard for me growing up there and really like understanding my identity, you know? And at that time I was also living with my mom's sister's family. And so, you know, at home was very much like your typical Taiwanese family. And as I said, at school, I had my Taiwanese girlfriends, but you know, again, I'm from the outset and to a stranger, I'm anything but right. And so I think, yeah, those were, those were some low points for me. And so I was really happy when we actually moved to Singapore because that was a completely different experience. Yeah. I mean, just even what you were saying about at the international school, it reminds me a little bit of the work that Danao Tenu has done, who I absolutely adore because a lot of her you know, and I was, let me put that title, doctor, because she earned that PhD. <laughs> Dr. Janelle, Dr. Janelle Tanu, if you are listening and don't know her, because 
I, you know, my first introduction is when I went to the Families and Global Transition Conference, my very first one, like back in like 2014 or so. And she was doing a presentation specifically on the experiences of Asian students in international schools and, and this, you know, why they may congregate together and, and kind of identity work. And I could see like, just even though that was not the focal point of, of kind of your response, I do see elements of that tension also, you know, between, as you're right, it's girls, it's school, but it's also other factors totally. between those who are from a region or have, or, or there's significant numbers of them from or have ties to a region yes. versus students who are coming from other places and how that can be, uh, problematic's not the word, but you can understand why the groups kind of form. Totally. And so, totally. yeah. And so it's interesting now because you, you said, obviously that was a hard period. And, and we always say on this podcast, look, people's experiences are their experiences. It doesn't mean the place is bad or wrong or whatever, but totally. yeah, we, we've got to imagine, you know, in the nineties and there are so many places in the world that where they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. Absolutely. No, are the not context. the same. Yes, absolutely. The context is so important. And I mean, and, and again, it's not even just to like backtrack on what I said, but like, honestly, I had so much resistance when I was going back to visit Taiwan, I think like 15 years later with my ex-husband. And, and, and I'm so glad that he pushed me to kind of like go back with an open mind because 15 years later, Taiwan was a completely different place. Right. I, mean, I was ready to be stared at. I was, I had my guard up. Right. I was like, okay, here we go down memory lane. Like I have healed. So I'm going to be right. But there was none of, you you know, wasn't needed. They were so open. They were so curious. They were so wanting to speak English, wanting to connect. They were embracing me when I told them, when I told them I was half Taiwanese, they were like, well, you basically are Taiwanese. I mean, it was a completely different. (laughs) So context really matters. And, and, and people, let me put it this way, communities and countries like people change, right? Of course, we all evolve, right? Right. And so, and obviously one of the good things, I think the access to technology and the way we have it now is that people are able to see the world in a different way. And also, let's be honest, a lot of places have become more open because I was just talking about this with someone else where they were in another Southeast or another, you know, Southeast Asian country where that country hadn't always been as open, but right. now it's far more open. And so yeah. a lot of things are not strange to them anymore because they've had people come from all over the world. Right. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and so, okay. So talking about Singapore and to your point, um, I feel like if you've, if anyone's ever been to Singapore, Singapore is a really interesting place because, <laughs> you know, it's not, I've been a lot of places. That's not ever a place where I feel like you get stared at. <laughs> No. Even even without like in my you know in my case I very much don't look like the local population and very much stand out from the local population which has got a couple strains of different the identities through it right yeah, exactly, exactly right but it's yeah. never like it's never like other places and so Singapore why how I guess the why and the how did your you and your mom or how did you guys end up in Singapore so so yeah so mom um, so when she when she moved to Taiwan, she got more involved in government. And um, so she took a diplomatic role that posted her in Singapore. Um, so that's why we moved there. And I honestly, I can't really remember. I mean, I had some good friendships in Taiwan. So, you know, and I was 12. And so it was hard to leave. And at the same time, I think I was ready for something different. Right. Mm. Um, and right off the bat, I mean, like you said, Singapore is it's a really special little place, the little red dot, you know, um, yeah. I think for one thing, and even it has evolved right over, over the years for sure. But I think it's always been a sort of hub, right. Um, even just for business, right. I think you're yeah. always getting, it's a gateway to Asia, right. So you're always getting people from different walks of life, flying through, transiting through. And then to your point, like 
the local population has so many shades and mixes already, right? Like even yeah. there's tons of data out there or or research out there that looks into like, you know, what makes a Singaporean, right? Because there's mm-hmm. Chinese, there's Chinese Malay, there's Indonesian, there's Indian Singaporean. So, you know, you already get that diversity in the local population. And so, like you said, you know, you don't really get any stare downs there. Um, right. You know, you kind of just blend in with the social fabric. So when I got there, I mean, it just felt, it just felt like a breath of fresh air, you know, like no one was staring at me. And when I went with my mom to like, check out the different international schools, we went to the American school and then we went to the British school, United World College, which is where I ended up going. And it was just so amazing to see and meet like a student population that was not just like diverse because it was different colors, but they were so mixed I mean, yeah. all kinds of mixed, you know, like, right. and, and it was super cool. You know, it was super cool to meet other people who I had the reaction of like, wow, that's a crazy mix. You know, like it was nice right. to not be that person. <laughs> not, not to be the, not to be the receiving end of it, but to totally, actually be like, on right. the other side of the table, you know? Um, and yeah, so that, that was really, I, I, I really, I think from the outset, I was just really excited to be there, you know, and there's so much cultural richness. Um, and it just, like I think, like I said, I think it really took the focus off of me and mm-hmm. allowed me to kind of like get curious and get educated, you know, about the different cultures out there and, and to meet other people who are multicultural like me, you know, um, and all the languages that were there. So it, it was a, it was a great experience. I loved it. And also in the end, like I said, I went to United World College and it was more traditional and that we all had to wear uniform and stuff. And the school ethos was really all about like embracing diversity. And I think this is why my mom chose this school over the American school, because the American school was quite like, you know, USA, USA, which, you know, it's a great school, but um, it didn't celebrate that diversity as much. And so it was amazing, you know, and we had like uh, United Nations nights where we really celebrated and, and sought to learn and understand different cultures. And so I really think that was the start of the starting point in my life where I became like such an advocate of, you know, early exposure to multiple cultures, having that be part of education systems, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And really encouraging that kind of diversity, right? Like when you're raising kids, now that I'm a mom or, you know, teaching, right? When you're in education. Yeah. Yeah. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the King of Sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So we're back from the break. And, you know, as if you've been listening, you will know that Sol, as she's told her story, has had these multicultural 
threads that have weaved throughout everything she's done just by virtue of her family dynamics and, and her educational dynamics. And so one of the things, you know, as we were talking offline and, and during the break is that I, I am very fascinated about how what we know as third culture kids and CCK, so cross-cultural kids, kind of incorporate some of their earlier life experiences, right? So we're saying, you know, 18 and younger into who they become as an adult. And so from a from a professional standpoint, right? And you talked about the impacts, especially with UWC. How have you incorporated those experiences and 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 leveraged sort of the skills, you know, kind of navigating these different spaces into the work that you would do professionally? Gosh, okay. So let me start by saying, you know, when I think about my sort of, I guess, career trajectory, right, since getting out of college, for example, it has been as diverse and multifaceted and kind of all over the place as I am, culturally speaking, you know, I mean, I, I always struggle to like, choose a path or stick with a job like you know and thank god the world has evolved because you know straight out of school I was like a job hopper and that was like the worst thing you could be <laughs> right and like, fast forward to today and everyone's like celebrating like you know the portfolio career yeah. and you know, um, the neo generalists out there, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm finally like watching, <laughs> right? And by the way, no. I love that term. Like, I'm going to steal it as a career counselor. The portfolio career—that is such a good term. Like, that's a great totally. term, right? Like, and, and I think that's what it is, right? Like, I mean, I'm just like, I'm sorry, I'm going to sound a bit like an ass right now, but I'm like, hello, thank you, world, for catching up. Right. Like, because that's what it is, right? right? It's about—I mean, in my mind, it's about building a portfolio of experiences of skills you know and and you discover that as you go right i mean props to those who kind of like come right out of school know what they're great at follow that path and yeah. excel at it in my line of work though as i've seen there's not many people who go down that path like they might have done something they thought they were supposed to or for whatever reason selected to do only to find out later on it's not what they wanted right so i just think like thank goodness the world is now open and more inviting to people who are willing to experiment and to just figure things out as they go. And I can now thankfully say like it served me really well. So having said that, you know, um, I think a lot of all that sort of meandering in my career culminated with the business that I set up with my friend and, and co-founder, Grace, The Change School, right? And we set that up which is how you and I connected, right? We set that up back in 2014. And basically, I mean, Grace and I came together because just like me, you know, she'd kind of tried out all different kinds of roles. We both kind of landed in marketing because it's just one of those generalist areas, right? Mm -hmm. That I think people who, who don't have a very specialized path often find themselves, but we hated it. I mean, it wasn't what we loved to do. And so we kind of came together and go, okay, so where do people like us go from here, right? Like, how do you build a career in the world that we're living in today? And how do you move forward? And how do you navigate? And how do you know, like, what's right for you? And we always used to joke and say, like, at the time, you know, if we were categorically lost, right? It felt like the only two options were to like go on a yoga retreat, hope you find yourself or go get an MBA and hope you can get a higher paying job. Right. Right. And neither of those options were what we wanted, but then both of those options held elements of things that we wanted. And so the the reason we brought, we came together to build the change school was like, we were basically asking ourselves, like, what would that perfect place and space look like, right? Like what was missing that we felt would have helped us to move forward. And so we built the school as a place for people with multiple talents, with multiple identities, right? Or um, who felt they were at a crossroads in their life and their work and just needed a safe space to be able to reflect on identity, to reflect on their core values, um, to be able to come together and feel like you're in a safe space with peers where you can share your learnings, share your ideas. Maybe you want to start a business, but you need some soundboarding. Maybe you're miserable in your job, but you just need some guidance as to figuring out what's making you miserable and what 
what type of job would be more fulfilling for you. And so that's what we we offered in the form of immersive retreats. So we ran some retreats in Bali. We had some public workshops. We later did some corporate trainings as well. And then we started offering some online courses so that we could have, you know, a wider reach and a deeper impact with our with our learners. And, you know, I think one of the sort of big topics and areas that we talked about a lot on Change School TV, which was our YouTube channel, was um, global citizenship, mm-hmm. right? Like, what does that mean? And how do you incorporate that into your life and into your work? Um, and that's actually how we, you and I connected and how we connected with like now and the whole sort of TCK space, right? Because we understood that there was like this term and, and this identity called third culture kids, not necessarily a term that like we had self-identified mm-hmm. with at the time, but that's essentially what global citizenship was for us. Right. And we were talking about it less as an identity and more as a mindset, a mindset of being curious about the world, you know, a mindset that is open to understanding people of different backgrounds and focusing more on what we share in common versus our differences. Right. And then if you have that mindset, you know, if it's in your DNA or if it's something you resonate with, how do you then incorporate that into your daily life and into the work that you do. So that's kind of what we felt we were doing with the change school, but then it's also what we wanted to share about through our YouTube channel to talk about and to also connect with other TCKs and people who sort of resonated with this idea of global citizenship. So, yeah, I mean, that was really like, it was my baby. It was my everything. It was, it was, it was kind of like me embodied in a business. <laughs> right. And you know what, as it's funny as you talk, because one of the, one of the challenges I think when you've had kind of this mobile childhood, um, you kind of touched on it quite early on is the fact that how do you incorporate <laughs> all the, you've already had, you've already lived a lifetime of experiences and it's like, you're not even a fully grown adult yet. And then when it when it's yeah. coming to like the professional standpoint, because I run into this with third culture kids all the time, actually, is it's right. like, what what do I do now? Because there's so much I want to do, but I don't know what I can do. And it's and it gets even wilder, like you would think after like 25, it would kind of settle down or 28 or 30, but they'll be like older and are still like, you know. Yeah. And I, and, 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 and I love that you guys, like you looked at something and you said, okay, this is a mindset because here's, here's the thing too, about the third culture experience. Like I've also had to tell kind of college students that being a TCK isn't like, (laughs) I like the word you use the word mindset because it isn't just like, it isn't just like a thing. It's like, right. And it's not a widget, right? Because here's the Here's the wild part. You're a third culture kid. I'm a third culture kid. Grace is a third culture kid. All of our TCK experiences, though, were like different. Do you know what I mean? Like we did not have, even if you went to the same school, like just by your family dynamic, right? It's different than your friend. And so I would tell like college students, it's not like you saying you're a TCK doesn't mean, (laughs) it doesn't mean anything to someone who doesn't understand the term. And also, how do you totally. take such a nebulous concept and make it into totally. something that's productive? And so what I think was cool about the chain school is that you took something that was a nebulous concept <laughs> and said, okay, <laughs> this is how it can apply to your life, to your work. Like, like you took it and made it a tool, if you will. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, and I'm just going to add to that and say, because this was really interesting for us, you know, initially we did start when we started our channel, we did start talking about TCKs and MCKs. And this is what was really eye opening for me, right? Like we always want, somehow we realized it started becoming a bit exclusive, Mm. right? And that wasn't our intention, but we had some amazing, what I would call global citizen members of our community coming on and being like, cause we would interview different people and they would be like, look, I want to come on the show, but like, I'm not a TCK. So am I not cool enough? Right. <laughs> right. Was, and they were actually pissed. Right. Like, and I understand, and I was shocked because I didn't expect that reaction. But then when I thought about it, I was like, well, yeah, because 
and I'm not saying this is what the intention is behind the term or behind, you know, actual TCKs being a TCK myself. Right. But it just, it start. I saw how it was starting to become something that was like almost to your point, nebulous, right. It was being defined within such um, parameters that it, the conversation was going to, so who qualifies, right? Right? Am I a TCK? Am I an MCK? And if I'm not, if I don't speak three languages, does that mean, you know? And so we really wanted to like broaden the conversation. And because we see so much power and strength in the TCK experience, mm-hmm. I think there's so much more that even people who wouldn't necessarily have had that experience can also like they can also bring or cultivate those strengths, right. you know, to, like right. I said, open-mindedness, curiosity, right? Uh, a perspective that focuses more on what we share in common versus what we have, you know, versus our differences. I think this is all really, really important for the world that we're living in today. And that's what we wanted the message to be, right? Less so than than saying, okay, hey, TCKs, let's all rally together. Like, yes, we wanted to create that space, but it was more about, okay, how do we make this something constructive and create a positive impact in the world with our experiences and with the perspectives in, that we have? No, I totally you know? get it because you know this, I run something called the Black Expat, <laughs> right? Yeah. And- Right. And so then you don't what what the struggle is, is that you don't want to be exclusive. Right. And completely like so even with my even when this was launched, um, meaning the site, not the the podcast, it was this is black inclusive. So I don't care where your experiences are coming from because it's not just black American. But to that point, that also means that the door is open for biracial, multiracial family dynamics, right? Situations. It's also open to, like I said, I've said this before, families who are not black, but have adopted black children and are expats, right? right. So right. like, you're right. right. The problem, I think sometimes with terms, and I think this is the same thing you, I mean, expat in and of itself goes through this like every two days, it's right? Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like expat, like, the conversation around who gets to be what and to the point that you don't want the yeah. work to be so focused and hyper-focused on the term that it's totally. exclusionary if that's not your intention. Now, there are scenarios and spaces where people want to be exclusionary and, you know, and I get it for like right. safety and for like to support and whatever. But I totally. love the fact that you kind of framed it as we're doing this thing to say, okay, you can take these tools, you can take this mindset and you can apply it. And it, and you don't, you don't, you, you don't have to, you don't have to already come with a certain experience, but you, you just have to be exactly. open to what could happen if you change the way you're thinking. Totally. Yeah. No, that's totally exactly. legit. Exactly. And yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, right. It's so funny when we start getting into these global spaces, right? Because we, we all of a sudden have to define oh these terms yes. to make sure people oh get it. Oh my God, my head's spinning already, just going back, thinking about <laughs> right. it. Right, because you're like, well, I don't want to exclude these folks, but I want these folks to know that they know. Totally. No, welcome to my existence and my entire brand yes. is like literally every day. Well, like, how do you start with a term that the world knows, right. but then we want to redefine it and then we want to unpack it. And it's just, right. yeah, it's a... Well, I didn't, and I didn't even yeah. get to the black part because that <laughs> that's a whole nother, like, <laughs> that's, a whole, that's, that's my so, own podcast. And I'm sure I have episodes where y'all can listen to me talk about that. So... So let's look, I mean, with that context and, and obviously you've talked about having your own portfolio career, which once again, I think that's just the way of the world. Like I was talking to someone who I've been coaching, who is, you know, she's about 28 or so. And oddly enough, her and her, her and her mom and me are the same generation, but I'm the really young end of the generation. (laughs) And so I'm, I'm prefacing this and her mom works in HR. And oddly enough, this, okay. this young woman, um, this young professional who I've known since she was like 25 was a TCK. She's, she's an only child. She was a TCK. Mm-hmm. Her parents were not. And, you know, they've been in the States for a good long while and she's been in the States for a while. And her mother was like, she still has some very old school HR. Like I, I was like, we're the same generation, but like, I'm, de- you're definitely the older part of it. Still has some ideas around career, right? Where, you know, you stay at something for a long time. You give people like, 
you know, you don't take, <laughs> you, you can give your notice that you're leaving, but you don't take like vacation time. Like, oh, yeah. it's not like, cause I know play people oh. are like, I'm leaving. Also, I've got all this vacation time. I'm going to use it. And her mom's like very traditional. <laughs> and, and so I was just yeah. laughing when you were talking about kind of like the way you've sort of seen the world kind of catch up to where you are. And, and you're very much like her. She's very much like you, where it's like, I can build portfolios of experiences because I say this, we all, we all have our own toolbox. We just have different totally. permutations of tools in there. And so exactly. when we're looking for opportunities, and I think I've seen this with your career, your career has seems to have leaned a lot more on the tools that you've developed having based on the life that you've had versus exactly. I'm going to be, and I can just pick up marketing because you mentioned it. I'm going to be a marketing professional for the next 30 years. Does that sound totally? No, a hundred percent. It's like, you know, I mean, yeah, I love, I love the analogy you're using. And, and similarly, you know, it's almost just like an artist's palette, right? It's like, I'm not going to paint a picture inside this box. Mm. I'm going to use all my colors and all my different brushes. Right. And I'm going to design a whole new yeah. thing. Yeah. Right? Um, and I'm going to fit perfectly in my own little painting. Right. You know, um, so yeah, no, that that's totally spot on. And I think that toolbox is exactly how I look at it. It's even how I talk about it when I'm, you know, speaking with different companies that I've interviewed with. And it's also how we used to describe things to our students at the change school, right? It's like, here is your toolbox. And it's just about how do you navigate the world and know when to use what and, and make it work for you, right? And and make those connections um, where you see the opportunities, right? And P.S., when you talked about HR just now, all kinds of alarm bells were going in my head. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, and I know we're going to move a little bit away from the professional side of things, but I just want to say, you know, HR is a really interesting space that I think it's like a gray area for me and the future direction of my work right now, because, you know, currently I'm still doing some coaching and consulting and training, which is really around like people development, yes. design thinking, yep. professional development, yep. right? And in parallel, I'm speaking to different organizations and it's falling in the HR department, right? And yeah. my alarms are going off because it's like, to your point, and I'm, I'm going to oversimplify for the sake of time, right? I think traditionally and very much to date, HR is still being like payroll, yeah, administrative yeah. stuff, yeah. you know, a lot of the boring, unsexy stuff. And I, I'm a bit, this is an area that I think really does need to catch up because where I think more companies need to be focusing the HR function is around like people development, yeah. the training, the coaching, the mentorship, yeah. you know? So there's a lot of, there's some organizations I've been speaking to that have kind of asked me to consider taking roles in HR. And I'm like, look, I'm happy to help out with the administrative side of things that need to be done, but that can be easily outsourced. I'm only in if we're really committing to focus on people development, yeah. right? And, and culture and all that good stuff, you know? So it's really funny that you brought that up and you talked about like the old and the new because it's, it's so And true. here's the thing, I'm going to add, I'm going to throw a layer on this before we, we throw the direction. Yeah. So you are totally right. And unironically, <laughs> unironically, because it's never yeah. the Amanda show, but it becomes the Amanda show after a while. <laughs> unironically, I am finishing up my own, like, because I love professional development. So I am finishing up, a year-long certificate in the learning and development space as you're talking. Maybe. And I was literally going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Exactly yeah. what she's saying is like, yes, like that. And I love like, you know, everybody knows career is my, my, my counseling and coaching background. I love that as I look at different companies and how they're shifting, you can start to see, and I, I believe COVID accelerated this. You're starting to see more companies... Yeah really pour into that learning and development. And it, you know, it's called different things, right? But it's L and D it's training and development, people, yeah. people experience whatever, because quite honestly, at least in the U S uh, like something like 46 million Americans 
We're looking for new jobs in the last six months. Right. And and so they're trying to figure out how do we keep people and it's upskilling, it's keeping them engaged, it's showing them a progressive plan, it's onboarding them correctly. And so like I'm just gonna say, you can you can be busy for the next twenty years, is what I and I don't want I want to be cautious and, and mindful when I say this, but girl, I was following all the news about the yes. great resignation and I was loving it personally, the great reawakening. Cause I was like, hallelujah, this shit's happening. <laughs> it's about time. And it's going to make it, it's going to make to your point, companies shift faster oh my gosh. because it needed to happen like yesterday, but at least it's happening now. <laughs> right. And to your point, I think you and I are both right. in the right space now. <laughs> I was like, there's a worldwide <laughs> pandemic that it took for it to happen, but here we are. And so, you know, another thing we were kind of discussing offline, and I think this is just as important, is that, you know, as you you've mentioned earlier and or yeah, we have mentioned this earlier, you have a little one. And I know Mm -hmm. that for my friends who are third culture kids and many of the people who've come on this show who are in cross cultural partnerships, right, and relationships yeah. It's like a mind shift, right? Because, because well, even though you've been a TCK and you've been, a, you know, a multicultural, multifaceted individual, cross-cultural person, it's something else kind of raising your own, I think. Okay, so I'm just going to add, yeah, it's a mind bleep. That's what it is. I mean, because, right. <laughs> and I have, this is probably one of, and I'm sure a lot of moms out there, you know, cross-cultural, multicultural or not, right, would would resonate with this, right? I mean, this is definitely the steepest learning curve of my life yet, mm. right? I'm just going to say that, being a mom. But I think I didn't expect how much thought and energy and internal, like, battling mm. <laughs> would happen in trying to think about or make sense of and, and to guide um, and steer like the cultural influence and upbringing of my little one, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, so, you know, just to get more specific, right. Cause we were talking about this. So my son, I mean, he's 14 months now, he was born in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Um, and his father's Portuguese and I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian. So right away, he's got three cultures, um, in there. And, and the thing is, he's been, you know, watching Portuguese cartoons, his dad speaking to him in Portuguese. Um, I'm always speaking to him in English. And, you know, one day it just kind of dawned on me. I was like, well, how, and first of all, like how important is it that he, to what, and to what extent does he also need to have the sort of Taiwanese and Ethiopian exposure and influence in his Mm -hmm. life? And I, and I, the reason I ask those questions is because partly I'm like, well, is that like my own ego? Is that a me thing? You know, is it because I'm Taiwanese Ethiopian that I think it's so important that it's part of his culture um, and part of his identity, but maybe that's not something he will resonate with at all. Right. And do I force it or do I allow things to kind of happen naturally? And then I realized, but he's, you know, he's half Portuguese. He's a quarter Taiwanese. He's a quarter Ethiopian. Not that, you know, it matters. The percentages matter, but it was just interesting because I grew up my whole life thinking, okay, I'm half Taiwanese, half Ethiopian. I hadn't really considered that there's this third culture now that I am, you know, I've only had three years to learn about myself while I was living in Portugal, you know, and I'm not fluent in Portuguese. I've just been starting to learn the language. So, I mean, and I started to find myself almost fighting for it. Um, And it was, to be really honest, like part of my move to Asia, I was like, no, he's got to have some Asia exposure. Mm. He's got to meet my, well, of course he's going to meet my mom. But, you know, when my mom came to spend time with us, I was like, please speak to him in Chinese. So he like, he gets the Mandarin in there, you know? Um, And now he's in Bali and I'm just like, you know, I'm wanting him to eat more Asian food and tofu. <laughs> his dad's like, okay, maybe he doesn't want tofu. And I'm like, no, he's going right. to love tofu. I mean, okay, I'm not that panic, but I'm just, you know, I'm trying to illustrate the kind of crazy right. and internal struggle that, that I'm experiencing as a mom in trying to be like, okay, I want to shape this amazing global citizen, right? But again, it's like, 
how much do you push it or how do you create the right environment or how do you nurture and bring up a, a, a human, right, in a way that that kind of happens naturally or quote unquote correctly. I don't even right. know, you know. So like I was telling you in our break, right, like I just this is taking up so much of my mental and spiritual <laughs> energy. Unreal. You know, and of course, because I'm an overthinker anyway. Right. Um, just insane. So it's really insane. I had Dr. Nafisa Allen back in, uh, let's say, March. And she is in a cross-cultural relationship uh, partnership. Or has, her husband is Mozambican. She's American. They met in India. They've got two kids, right? Wow. And she talked yeah. a little bit about this in her episode where <laughs> about in that case, kind of managing the in-laws and the expectations because she's just on a whole nother level. She's a U.S. diplomat. <laughs> so yeah. she's on a whole nother level. Right. So like what's going oh, wow. on. Yeah. And oh, I remember yeah. one of the things that she said was like, and her kids are little, so they're four and two. And one of the okay. things that she said was, you know, she speaks Portuguese. So she speaks English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Her husband obviously speaks Portuguese right. and English. And then, you know, they're the, the ethnic language. And one of the things she was like, look, we just went ahead and got a virtual tutor <laughs> and to make sure <laughs> that the little ones are getting proper, like they're properly getting Portuguese, for example, in that case, because right, right. she at least wanted them to be tethered language wise to Right. His, you know, because they're in the State Department system, right, to his family, and they can be able to communicate and whatnot. But then there were other things yeah. that were very culturally specific that they decided that they would have the kids like do or be familiar with so that they would have cultural context, right? Because obviously they're raising these right. kids outside of Mozambique. She didn't grow up in Mozambique. She's, you know, she's American, whatnot. But it was the same little big right. piece of like wrestling that I could kind of hear you're talking about where it's, how much, right? Do we, <laughs> how yeah. much do we make sure, especially, and I think it's hard, especially when you do see yourself as like a global <laughs> citizen, because then you're like, oh my God, yeah, and, then, and there's like tinges of the Asian tiger mom coming out. Right. Of and you're just like, no, my kid is going to learn this, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I had this experience. But I, here's, here's what I think though, is that you as 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 he grows up, you're probably gonna figure out the pieces that work within y'all's story. Because we have to be honest as TCKs too, is that we are not 100 percent whatever our parents are, right? Like we we're exactly. like the light version. Yeah. Let's be honest. <laughs> like <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Like we are. Like we're not. Like especially if they grew up, they grew up monolithically in one country, right? Like, totally, we aren't. I yeah. mean, as much as we see our identities and they are part of identities, we're not like hardcore with it. <laughs> and so, no, not right. so we have to kind of accept <laughs> that totally with our kids, right? right? Like, your your yes. kid is all of those things. Like, he's a new thing, right? No, a hundred percent. No, you're you're a hundred percent right. And I mean, I think. And like we said, right, like, I mean, the first thing I did, and this is like amidst the pandemic too, right? And I'm sorry, I know you can just hear him. <laughs> Living like, his best life. Exercising his lungs right now. Like, it's all good. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, I mean, one of the first things I did, right, like right after he was born was like, I was on a mission. I was like, I'm getting these kid, this kid as many passports as possible. So he got the U.S. passport through mm -hmm. me, right? I got him a Taiwanese passport. Um, and then obviously he has uh, a Portuguese passport. And, you know, the reason, I mean, yes, I thought it was pretty cool to be collecting right. passports, but my thinking was really, I want the world to be his oyster. I want him to have the power of choice, right? I want him to feel like he can be, he is a citizen of the world, right? And there was no like precondition or expectation that like he's gonna live in the mm -hmm. states or or ever choose or even choose to keep that passport right or he may never use his taiwanese passport right um and and i don't know i don't know what choices he's gonna make right um but that was really more my thing is i just wanted to open up the world to him and in doing so i think where some of the pressure was coming as i was like okay one thing is being able to like enter the land to is communicate mm -hmm. right so to your 
point about your friend, you know, the next step is to try and at least expose him to as many languages and a bit of the culture of each, you know, so he has that in his palate. And then, you know, and the rest is, is his to choose and kind of mold for himself, right? As he grows. Like oh my said. gosh. I, which already makes me feel like I have to bring you back onto the show later on because no, seriously, because then it's like, I would, I would be absolutely fascinated to see what happens like a year or two year removed, right? Where he's, Oh my God, he's right? older <laughs> and, and, and because how much is your, how much has changed and how much you've learned now raise it? Cause you may be in Asia, you may be somewhere else. Cause you're like everyone else. You, you right? may be there, you may not be. And so I, yeah, I already know I'm setting up for it and we're going to bring soul back. Cause now we're going to talk about parenting a, t- <laughs> a toddler preschool right now. <laughs> Actually, I probably. Well, I'm going to be coming back from now to the end of my days. Right. It's just like, okay, now this is how you parent a teenager who's grown up in like five countries and has like at least three identities. Yeah, and now she's empty. Right. And, and now, now, how do you find, how do you visit the grandkids who are like all over the, yeah. Totally. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this, this is oh like blown by so fast, but I am so glad to finally get you on here. And I will make sure that people know where to find you because you've touched on the iceberg of your story. I mean, there's so much to your story, but I am so grateful for what you've shared with us today. Aw, thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. I loved it. So good to reconnect. You've just listened to an episode of The Global Chatter, which is hosted by me, Amanda Bates. It is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.